Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Keep thy heart with all diligence. The wellspring of life comes from our hearts. God is concerned about our hearts, and we need to be concerned about our hearts, too, and on guarding our hearts. I'm sure you've heard stories. Maybe you've even been to a military museum, maybe in Gettysburg or somewhere else, where you've seen a Bible on display with a bullet embedded in it. A soldier was carrying that Bible with them into battle, and a bullet that was meant for their heart was caught instead by the pages of that precious book, and that Bible spared physically their life. You've seen a Bible like that on display? It's amazing to contemplate. As much as the Bible can offer you protection physically from a physical bullet, Carrying a Bible around by itself, unopened, unused, ununderstood, misunderstood, is not going to help you when it comes to the spiritual fiery darts that the devil is shooting at you. It's not enough to have a Bible. Now, maybe you have woken up after a terrible nightmare. Maybe you've had night terrors. Maybe you've slept with your Bible Uh, before and maybe the presence of the Bible has brought you some level of comfort but in the spiritual battle that we are facing we need more than just a physical Bible in our hands not applied to our lives not obeyed to protect us from the very real but unseen fiery darts of the wicked one we are talking about standing in spiritual victory in this study, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to go to Ephesians 6 in just a moment, but first I want you to go back with me to the book of Romans chapter 13 as we look at this critical piece of armor today, putting on righteousness. Now remember as we pick up where we left off last week, prayer is warfare and we need to know how to pray we need to know what to pray we're going to get more into that as we get closer to the end of this study but we need to be be able to understand how we're to pray and the things we're to pray and so God has given us the armor of the Lord to equip us for the spiritual battle so that when we go to him in prayer and when we stand against the enemy in prayer we are able to pray effectively and victoriously stand we're told to stand we're told to stand as a command that means it's a choice it's an action that we take and we saw last week that our stand must be constant so that our withstanding our responding to attacks can be um, immediate whenever we encounter 
opposition from the enemy that we're able to stand and withstand his attacks. Let me just sum up uh, very quickly what we've seen so far in this study. Number one, we're to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This battle will not be won in your own power. It won't be won by your own intellect, by your experience, by your expertise. It will only be won if you are dependent on the power of the Lord. And so number two, you have to dress appropriately. You have to dress for war. You have to be clad in the armor of God. All of the armor that we have talked about and will talk about is activated by action. You will see in Ephesians that there are things that we are to do. It's not just to know. It's not enough to know. There are things that we need to do to make sure that the armor is activated because every armor, that piece of armor that God has given us is precisely designed to counter specific attacks. We're going to talk about one of those great attacks today in the armor that we need to defend against it. But these attacks, Paul calls them wiles. Greek word is methodius, the methods he uses to attack us and to destroy our lives. And so we appropriate God's power by using God's armor. This is the armor of the Lord, Isaiah 59, the armor that Jesus himself will wear on that wonderful day in Revelation 19, the second coming, when he will be clad for war. We put on Christ by putting on his armor. And we do it to stand against the enemy's tactics. And we do it to expose evil as chapter 5 commands us to do. It's not enough to, to avoid evil. It's not enough to, uh, to not be engaged in it. We are told to actively stand against it. To expose it. To take a stand against the evil of the enemy. And of course that begins as we saw last week. By knowing and embracing the truth. Embracing the truth so that we can obey the truth. The whole armor of God begins and ends with truth. And so we gird up the loins of our minds with truth. The Greek word is reality. The, the way things really are. Not the way things always feel. Feelings are not reality. Feelings are important, but they're not reality. I might feel a certain way. That's not reality. I might think a certain thing, but my thoughts do not dictate reality. You ever picked a cup up and thought it was one fluid in there and it was something else? You ever had that experience? Can I disgust you this morning? I was riding in a friend's vehicle and picked up a cup that I thought was my cup, and it was his spit cup. That'll wake you up. You can think, and you can be 100% certain. You can be 100% certain. That doesn't mean it's reality. You better embrace reality. You got to deal with what is real, not how you how things look, not how things sound, not how things feel. What is real? And Satan's primary method of attack of attack against us, the very first weapon is the one he uses most effectively and most often. It is deception. It is deception. Satan's primary attack is deception. That's why Jesus himself in John 18, 44 called him the father of lies. Now here in Romans chapter uh, 13, Romans chapter 13, Paul says this, verse 11. 
And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. This isn't just a metaphor of Roman armor. This is very real armor that you appropriate in the spirit realm, the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I wanted to go back to where we left off last week. Because the problem with many of us is that we are spiritually sleeping. We're not awake. We haven't woken up. And the devil will do everything in his power because he cannot defeat you if you are appropriating the armor of the Lord. If you are standing in the power of God by the person of God, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, the resurrection power resides inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit the devil can't do anything against you if you are doing what you could do and should do. And so the only tactic that he has really is to lull you into sleep. I want to talk to you just for a few moments about a few of the devil's lies and lullabies that he sings to get us to fall asleep and to exist in the dream world that so many of us walk around in. Maybe you've seen a movie about someone who was trapped in a dream or in a dream world or maybe the Matrix or something like that. This computer simulation, Tron. You're trapped in a computer simulation. Listen, many of us are trapped in a spiritual sleep state. Our spirit is asleep. We're not asleep. But our spirit has been lulled to sleep. And the command for us, if we want to put on the armor of light, is that we need to wake up. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but I want to share with you just for a few moments four kinds of dream worlds that the devil uses. And with his lies and lullabies, he sings us to spiritual sleep. And many of us, without realizing it, are spiritually sleepwalking. I hope as we go through these Four dream worlds that maybe you'll recognize that what you've been living in is just a spiritual dream and it's time to wake up. Number one, you won't put on your spiritual armor of light if you are caught in the nightmarish land of what if. What if. Some of us, the devil has lulled us to sleep with lullabies of future fears. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if it, the money runs out? What if I get sick? What if, this, what if they don't keep their promise? What if they break their promise? What if, what if I can't do it? What if I fail? What if they fail? Lulled to sleep. We're just in a constant state of fear of the future. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 25, what are you worried about tomorrow for? Tomorrow has enough worries. Sufficient for today. And if I, Jesus said, listen, if I care about every single sparrow that falls, why do you think I don't care about you? I mean, if we really understand that God became a man and lived for over three decades in a 
human body of real flesh and blood with all of the weaknesses and the limitations and the challenges that he didn't have to accept. And all of the temptation that he dealt with that he didn't have to deal with. And by the way, did it without sin. Did it without sin. Only so he could be rejected and despised, spit on, mocked, beaten, crucified. And no one took his life from him. He laid it down for us. Willingly. He shed his blood willingly to die for your sin. Listen, the, the empty tomb shows us the power of God. The cross of Christ shows us the great love of God. If he would endure that for you, why do you think he doesn't care about your physical needs, your emotional needs, your, your spiritual needs? Why are you so consumed by future fears? But for some of us, it's not the future that is, has us in, caught in nightmares. It's the past. We're, Satan has us lulled to spiritual sleep by past regrets. If only, what if I had done that instead of what I chose? What if I had married someone else? What if I had gone into a different career? What if I had moved when I thought I should move? Or what if I hadn't moved when I thought maybe I shouldn't move? What if I hadn't taken that job? What if I had taken that job? What if, what if, what if, what if? Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, after talking about his former life as a Pharisee, an exemplary Pharisee, he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature be thus minded. Now, Paul isn't saying don't, don't ever think about the past because he just talked to us about his past. He's just spent time telling us about his past. He's saying don't be chained to your past. Don't be a prisoner of the past. Don't live in the nightmare land of what if I had have done this? What if I hadn't have done that? What if I would have made different choices? What if I would made better choices? Friend, God is in control of the outcome of every choice that you make. He doesn't script your choices for you. He gives you the ability to choose, but he remains sovereign over the outcome of those choices. He is in control. And here's the incredible thing about God. He is able to take our ashes that we bring and bring beauty out of those ashes. He's able to take what is broken that we have broken in our lives and he's able to bring healing. And he's able to work all things together for the good those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the amazing thing. You don't need to live in the land of what if. It's a nightmare. It's a walking nightmare. And I found myself trapped in that nightmare. I, I imagine all of you have it one time or another. Some of you are right there right now. You need to wake up. Wake up. Focus on the cross. Focus on the empty tomb. Focus on our risen, resurrected, reigning Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And wake up from the land of what if. Here's the second land, though. And this is closely related, but it's the melancholy land of what was. We've been lulled to sleep by nostalgia. We don't regret the past. We just we want to cling to it forever. It's not what if I had done this. What if it's why can't it why can't it be like it used to be? 
Why can't it be like it was? In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, Solomon reminds us, uh, don't ever say, why were the old times better than the new times? It's not wise. Not wise to ask those questions. Because life is change, and life is temporary, and life is fleeting. And we grow older, hopefully wiser, sometimes sicker, because we're in a mortal shell living in a cursed world and thank God for the moments of joy that we have but our hope is not in the past friend as wonderful as your past might be our hope is in the future our hope is in the, the eternity that we are that we have guaranteed we have promised to us that is as certain more certain for us than that we'll be here on this earth tomorrow is the certainty that we have in Jesus Christ. If you've been forgiven of your sins, if there was a time in your life where you recognize, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, there's only one, Jesus Christ. And you believed He died for your sin, he, you believed He rose again, you called upon Him as your Savior, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You were born again, you were uh, brought into the family of God, you have a hope and a certainty, and it's, it's okay to... Spend some time thinking about the past and what was and even mourning. It's, we're, listen, we're to weep with those who weep. We're to mourn with those who mourn. There are things in the past that we've lost that have been taken from us that it's appropriate to mourn, but it's not appropriate to live there. It's not appropriate to live there, to live in the land of melancholy. Change is constant. Everything changes constantly. The only thing that doesn't change is the reality of change. And so don't get lulled to sleep by what was. Here, here's the third thing. Many of us are living in the dream world. It's just a dream. <laughs> it's not real. But the enchanted land of what charms. Satan has us lulled to sleep. We're consumed, lulled to sleep by our desires. It's all about consuming all about enjoying, all about whatever will please us. And that is different for all of us. Although I will say, as Paul says, there's no temptation that has beset you, but is common to somebody. So we all, whatever you're struggling with, there's other people who are struggling with it too. There's other people who are struggling with that tempta temptation too. You're not alone in that struggle. But the problem is when we pursue and we think that because sin is pleasurable for a season, that that season is going to last. No, no, no. There's always a price to pay. And the price is always higher than the pleasure that we receive from that sin. And the price always is paid over a longer time period than we enjoyed that sin. We pay a higher price for a longer period of time. Satan wants to keep us in the enchanted land of what charms. But here's the fourth thing that I want to talk about because it leads us into our topic for this morning, and I'm going to call this the shadow land, the shadow land of what pretends, what pretends to be real, what we think is real, what we feel is real, and I want to talk to you today about being lulled to sleep, and more importantly, waking up from the sleep the spiritual sleep of thinking that we can do spiritual warfare 
by following rules and regulations. That we can have spiritual victory through our own self-righteousness. The writer of Hebrews says that all of those things in the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, the sacrificial system, the, the, the animals, and, and all of that whole system, all of that was just a shadow. It was a shadow of the reality. Why do you want to go back to the shadow? Why do you want to play pretend when you have the reality of the risen Jesus Christ? Here's what Paul says in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. This brings us to spiritual warfare. Paul says in verse 13 of Philippians 2, and you being, or excuse me, Colossians 2, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. I am forgiven. I don't deserve to be forgiven, but I'm forgiven. And here's what he says. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross and having spiritual warfare. Here we go. Having spoiled principalities and powers, having defeated all of the principalities and powers that we wrestle with. He made a show of them openly. He made a public spectacle of them. He mocked them publicly trying triumphing over them in the cross and through the cross let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holiday a holy day which is what the word holiday means by the way don't say merry christmas say happy holiday Ho holidays okay happy holy day to you too people don't understand the importance of the actual meaning of the words they use. All right, that's another message for another time. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or a new moon or a Sabbath day, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the body is Christ. Let no man beguile you. No, let no man deceive you or trick you of your reward. Cheat you out of the spiritual rewards God wants for you in a voluntary humility and, hu and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, Christ, from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment, ministered, knit together, increased with the increase of God. There's a lot there we're not going to unpack, but let me say this, verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why... As though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, man-made rules, and even going back to the law of Moses, trying to put Gentiles back under the law of Moses, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom. They have an appearance of wisdom. They cast the shadow of wisdom, but it's just a shadow will worship, humility, neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Now, there's a lot of hard English in there to, to understand. Basically, what Paul is just saying is this. He's saying, you, you set yourself by rules, man-made rules, and you think that you're going to be spiritual. You think that you're going to make yourself righteous by the rules you observe. That's not what makes you righteous. 
It makes you feel righteous. But that's a shadow. That's a dream world, folks. And there are many people today who think they're wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. They think, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, but it's your righteousness. It's your righteousness. Guess what's going to happen to that breastplate when it gets hit by a fiery dart? That dart's going right through, and it's going to pierce your heart because your righteousness is not worth the paper machete that it's made out of. You're going into battle wearing paper machete armor if you are wearing the breastplate of your own self-righteousness. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is the armor of the Lord, Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 6. This is the armor of light, Paul says in Romans chapter 13. You need Christ's righteousness. Put on the armor of God. Wear, put on the breastplate of whose righteousness? His righteousness. Christ's righteousness. So let me give you a wake-up call today. I want to share with you just in the few moments that we have left, recognizing true righteousness and wearing it as your breastplate. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we are to stand there for verse 14, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Why are those two connected? Well, not only are they connected as armor, but they're connected in this way. One of the first deceptions that the devil is going to use against you as a Christian is to make you think, now that you're saved, that you've got to do it in your own strength and by your own righteousness. Paul says something amazing in the book of Galatians. Uh, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. This is after his confrontation with the apostle Peter. Peter was being a hypocrite. You know why the church is full of hypocrites? Because we're all hypocrites. Every human being on earth, every human being on earth has hypocritical tendencies. It's because we're all sinners. It doesn't make it right. It does not make it right. And it means we need to confront it when we see it. But don't say, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites, and then you go anywhere else. That restaurant's full of hypocrites, too. That ball field's full of hypocrites too. But here's what Paul says. He, he says, um, let me pick it up in verse 17 of Galatians chapter 2. Well, let me back up to verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul says the only way that you can be saved is by faith. You can't be saved by your works. You can't be saved by your baptism. You can't be saved by being a good person. You can't be saved by coming to church or giving to the church. You can't be saved by any of that. It's placing your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Understanding that he is God, the son of God who died for you and rose again. And he is offering you forgiveness. But you've got to say you need it. You've got to admit you need it, and you've got to call upon him for it, and then he will forgive you. 
But here's what happens. The moment we do that, the moment we do that, Paul says, verse 17, if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Say, what does that mean? He's saying this. To become a Christian, you got to admit that you need a Savior and you can't save yourself. But the moment we get saved, we try to save ourselves again. I have to admit that I can't save myself, that I can't be good enough. My works can't save me. But the moment I get saved, Paul says, we prove that we're a sinner by thinking that we can earn it. Let me show you how good I am, God. Let me show you how good a person I am. No, 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 I don't need your help. I, I got this. I got this. Paul says, you know what you're doing when you do that? You're just proving that you needed him in the first place. But even as Christians, we do this. And that's why he said, you've got to bring it to this. I am crucified with Christ, verse 20. And nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, I'm making a point of this because I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone talk about the breastplate of righteousness. And they leave out the part that it's Christ's righteousness that you got to put on. It's Christ's righteousness. It's not, Paul's saying, make yourself more righteous. It is understand that you have been legally declared righteous. So let me give you four things quickly that we need to do to wake up and recognize and wear true righteousness as a breastplate. Number one, you have to define it correctly. You have to define righteousness. The devil is in the dictionary. Literally, Webster has just changed the dictionary definitions of men and women to accommodate the intellectual insanity that has consumed not only our culture but the world. We are living in the last days. The spirit of Antichrist is just gnawing at his chains till he can get loose on this earth. You got to define it correctly. What is righteousness? True righteousness is that which God has judicially declared right. What God has judiciously declared as favorable and right in character and conduct. It is a judicial term. We talk about righteousness, but we don't realize that we're talking about a legal definition, a legal term. God has declared it right. I'm not talking about what the Supreme Court declares is right, because guess who they will give an account to? I mean, they're not even the highest authority in the land. That's our Constitution, by the way, is the highest authority. But there's a higher authority way above our national constitution. And even when all the world leaders will get together and they'll have their one world government for a few years. Congratulations. You get judged for that. Because there's a highest authority and that's the judge of us all. The king of kings and lord of lords who we will all stand before and give an account. Righteousness is what he has declared as right. Not what we get together as a democracy and we all vote on it. Somebody told me today, <clears throat> Vicki, um, that I need to make sure I bring more than one movie next week for movie night so that you all can decide and vote on the Listen, we are not a democracy on movie night, okay? 
We're not taking a vote. Nothing wrong with voting on some things, okay? Uh, still not taking a vote next, next week, but... It doesn't matter what society gets together and, uh, you know, well, everybody says, well, everybody thinks, well, everybody knows. No, no, no. What does God declare? That's why you need the belt of truth, because you need to know what truth is so that you understand what God says. This is right. This is right. You have to define it. This is why the Bible describes God as righteous, as right, because he is the one who defines what is right and what is wrong. Back to the Garden of Eden. Don't eat of the fruit of one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve said, I want to determine what is good. I want to determine what is evil. And mankind have been trying to do that ever since. Well, why is is this wrong? Because God says it is. Well, I don't understand it. I don't need to understand it. I don't need to understand it. Now, there are some things when I was younger, I said, I don't understand why that's wrong, but it must be. The Bible says it is. And now I understand why it's wrong. <laughs> now I do. But there are things in the Bible that, why is, why is, I don't understand. But listen, it doesn't matter because it's what God has declared. God declares what is right. By the way, you know when the first time this word is used in the Bible? The Hebrew form, of course, not the Greek word. But the Hebrew form of the word righteousness, the very first time it's used in the Bible, Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness has only ever been achievable by God's grace through faith, only ever. God does not care about what you declare yourself to be right in. That's what self-righteousness is all about. I am right. I am right before God because of what I have decided is right. And God's going to have to let me in and approve of what I've chosen because I am right. No, no, no. Only by grace, only received through faith. So number one, define it. Number two, distinguish it. Distinguish it. Christ's righteousness, not our own. Christ's righteousness, not our works. Let me go back to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and back up a few verses. Paul says, listen, I was cream of the crop of of the Pharisees. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, verse 5, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gain unto me, <clears throat> excuse me, those things I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And and do count them but dung. And by the way, the Greek word is stronger. I want you to understand how, what filthy waste all of my good works that I have done in the flesh apart from grace, apart from faith. Paul said they just need to be flushed. That's what he says. That's what he says. That I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, 
but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, which is the cross, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Listen, we're talking about recognizing that we have been given the righteousness of Christ. And so listen, number three, you have to declare that by faith if you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you need to receive it by faith so you can declare it. If you're not a, if you're not a believer here today, you're, you're still in your sins. And I have news for you. If you reject the payment, God doesn't want to send you to hell. He sent his son to die to pay for your sins so you don't have to go there. But if you refuse the payment and you refuse the Savior, there is only one destination for you. And I don't tell, that, tell you that because I enjoy that or because it makes me feel good. I have friends who are there. We all do. I tell you because it's the truth. But listen, you can be forgiven. You can stand before God and he can see you as sinless and spotless. Not because of what you have done, because of what Jesus has done. You've got to declare that by faith. You want to put on the, the righteousness, the armor of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. You have to understand that you in Jesus Christ have been forgiven. Stop trying to earn it. You never can. I hated, hated the ending of Saving Private Ryan. When Tom Hanks, have words for Tom, but uh, that's for another time. Tom Hanks looked in Private Ryan's eyes and said, you better earn this. You better earn this. Right? Nobody can earn. Nobody can earn what, what was paid for that soldier in the movie. Nobody could earn that. Nobody deserves the weight of that. You can't earn it either. God's not expecting you to earn it. You can't earn it. And if you think you can, you've got a pride problem. You, you are undervaluing the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of the infinite Son of God shed for you, and you are doubting its power if you think that you can not deserve the forgiveness of God as his child. As his child. The breastplate of righteousness is about understanding that we have been forgiven by God. Now, let me say one thing very quickly. We're not going to take time to go there, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul calls the breastplate the breastplate of faith and love. Why would he call the breastplate of righteousness in Ephesians 6 the breastplate of faith and love in, in 1 Thessalonians 5? Well, here's why. Faith is how you get the righteousness of God. Faith is how you get it. We, we just read that in, in Philippians chapter 3. The righteousness of God, which is by faith. The righteousness of Christ, which is by faith. You can only receive his righteousness by faith. You can't earn it. Love is what you do with it. Love is what you do with it. What do I do as a forgiven person? What does God expect me to do as a person who has been forgiven by God? He expects me to love others. That's the second most important commandment. There's one that's like unto it, but greater. We're supposed to use it to love him. 
Are you thankful for the, for the righteousness he's given you? Are you thankful? I know your life is hard. I know it is. And I know you face things, most of you have faced things I have never faced and may face and hope not to face. Here's what I know. No pain, no trial, no challenge, no difficulty can compare. Paul said not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in you if you are a child of God forever and ever and ever with him. That is reason to praise and that's reason to serve and to serve others. See, the last thing I would tell you as we close is that you got to develop. You got to develop. You got to live it out. You got to develop your understanding. We don't develop Christ's righteousness, but we, under, we develop our understanding of it. And what does that look like? Let's close by going to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Here's the commentary on it by John in 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we application ought to lay down our lives for the brethren what do you do with the righteousness of christ you love others you love others we're to live out our righteousness that has been given to us not to earn it or attain it but because it's a gift given so that we will give to others so that we will be kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven us and Paul goes on to say in, in Ephesians 5, verse 1, that as beloved children, we're to be imitators of God and to walk in love as Christ loved us. We're to look at how Christ has loved. We're to look at the righteousness of Christ. We're to thank God for it. We're to praise God for it. And then we're to take the righteousness that has been given to us. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. I am not a perfect pastor. I can promise you that. But I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And I want you to know that you can be forgiven. And if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. And we need to forgive one another. We need to love one another. We need to serve one another. You think the devil is going to stand against the church that's doing that? You think the devil's going to stand against the church that is kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another? He doesn't want me to finish this message. But I hope you got it. When we put on the armor of light, we're putting on Jesus Christ. We're putting on his righteousness. We're standing in his righteousness. The, the, the gratitude. You know, I, I've, I've tried to white knuckle it. I've tried to, listen, you, some of you you've dealt with or are dealing with addiction, are dealing with habits, are dealing with uh, painful ha Listen, the power to break those chains is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And it's recognizing and focusing on that cross and on that empty tomb and walking like Jesus in love and obedience.
toward him, towards one another. Listen, if we're, we have the righteousness of Christ guarding our hearts, the devil can shoot all the fiery darts at us he wants, but we have our heart guarded. We have our heart guarded. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for, the, uh, God, the infinite gift that you have bestowed upon each and every person who will come to you and receive it as a gift, the very righteousness of Christ, that we could stand before you, God, not in our own goodness, our own works, but only declaring, I'm forgiven by Jesus Christ, my high priest, my Savior, my Lord. Father, if there's somebody here today, they don't have that assurance, they don't have that forgiveness, God, I, would, I pray that they would realize today that they need that forgiveness. Their eternity depends upon it. God, for those of us who have it, God, may we live in it. May we wear it as our breastplate. Have our hearts guarded by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close with this hymn? If you have a need, the altar is open. Our deacons are here. Our deacons' wives are available as well to pray with you. If you have a need, if you don't know Jesus, please don't leave here before you've made it right with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you have another need. The altar is open. Let's sing this hymn together. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Finding me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. Father, we thank you, God, for your mercy and grace. Father, we ask now as we close this service, God, that this message would stay with us, God. That we would spend time today thinking about the righteousness of Christ and how it has been made available to us through the cross and the empty tomb. Father, may we live in that righteousness and live it out in this lost and dying world. God, shining your light through the armor of light to the world around us, standing against the work of the devil in our families, in our community, in our workplace.
that we may experience the victory and show others the victory available to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. We love you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Hope you'll come back tonight for our evening service in the book of Daniel. 6.30, you are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.